Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Jason and I have our warm drinks, and we're ready for the Deep Waters Podcast. Are you? (laughs) Hi, Jace. Hi, Benjamin. (laughs) Happy day. It is a happy day. Right? Spring has sprung. I bit my tongue. The trees are... <laughs> <laughs> that was a little rhyme. That was nice. Uh, we used to say that when I was a kid. I don't You're know why. You're a poet and you didn't even know it. <laughs> but something in your feet are like Longfellows. Have you heard like the second part of that? No. Is that a thing? Yeah. Like long, long words. Mm, never uh, long, okay. Never mind. Someone We're, listening probably knows. I bet it's Danica. Yeah. People always like, I was a... <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. And then they say that last part that doesn't rhyme. And I'm like, that's like the least poetic thing in the world wow funny and that's like the full sentence of it wow so but i guess not all poetry has to rhyme whoa that's true i'm glad you said that because biblical poetry rarely rhymes that's true in the way we anticipate it to does it ever rhyme in hebrew or was that just not important to them yeah you know it rhymes in a different way so when poetry rhymes in english it's like the ending word of Mm -hmm. two sentences will rhyme like there's um, some roses are in my red, pocket. violets are blue, um, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Mm-hmm. So blue and you are supposed to rhyme right there. Yeah. Um, in Hebrew, it's like words will sound really similar right next to each other. So um, like in Genesis 2... Man, I don't have notes. I didn't prepare for this, so I'm pulling this off my head. But That's okay. Um, like God creates, well, it says that the earth was dry and then the aid came up out mm-hmm. of the ground, which is the only time in the whole Bible that that word is used. Aid. So, aid. Mm-hmm. Um, spelled Aleph Dalet, which is kind of like an A and then a D mm-hmm. <laughs> if you transliterated it. Yeah. And then out of the aid... Oh came Adam when God formed the Adamah into Adam. So there's these three words that are all connected. And mm-hmm. one is like a watery mist or spring. Wow. That's the aid. Mm-hmm. Adam is man or mm-hmm. human. And Adamah is the dirt or the ground. Wow. Adamah is a really common word. And so is Adam. Mm-hmm. But aid was is a weird word that they intentionally chose because it sounds like the others. Yeah. And so that's all in the same sentence and there's no meter to it really, Mm -hmm. but the words are meant to sound alike. Does that make sense? Totally. That's kind of what rhyming looks like. That's cool. In Hebrew. Mm -hmm. There's like root words that sound similar or are the same thing, but mirrored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. That's really cool. Anyway, I'm not an expert on that. I'd like to do more. I've really, uh, sometimes I make it sound like I know Hebrew way more than I do. I don't, I don't like read my Hebrew Bible every day. That'd be so cool if I did. But percentage wise, the Hebrew that you know is just millions times more than I know. <laughs> you know the word shalom, no? 
I know Shalom. Well done. Yeah. That's all you need. And uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Any other ones? L'chaim. L'chaim. That's not from the Bible, uh, I don't think. Elohim. Is that? Hey, there you go. Nice. Is that Hebrew? Yeah. What does it oh. mean? Do you know? Spirit. Oh, we put breath. you on the spot. No. Ruach. Ruach. Mm-hmm. Elohim is God mm. or gods. Gods. It could be capital G God or lowercase g God. Or is it also reference the stars as Elohim? Wow. Nice. Yes, it oh. does. Interesting. Sometimes, mm-hmm. not always. There's a different Hebrew word for stars, but sometimes the stars are poetically talked about as the sons of God or as gods or the host of heaven. All of those are used to describe the stars. Interesting. Yeah, that's a whole rabbit trail there. Yeah, but it's kind of on topic a little bit. It actually is. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Benjamin? Oh, I'm, way, to, way to do that. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, okay, well, here we are. Segway. Today, this is part three of how to read the Bible. Welcome. <laughs> um, it's like a game show. <laughs> a really nerdy game show. <laughs> Come on down <laughs> to read your Bible. Um, we've been doing this really wonderful, innovative thing called Sunday School here at River House. Yes. Uh, and this upcoming week, May 7th, is the last day of the How to Read the Bible class. So if Dogs. you've not been involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, no problem. Hopefully these podcasts are a way that you can glean some of the stuff we've talked about in the class and hopefully you can come to a future Sunday school. We love that. So fun, right? But We're gonna take, for just logistics, Sunday yeah. school's going to take a little bit of break about three weeks. Yep. And then the first Sunday in June. Yep. We're going to be back at it with new Sunday school. It's new Sunday school. It's mm-hmm. going to be a summer book club Sunday school. Very exciting. Um, funnily, th- this is the first little window into it, but we've been talking about how to read the Bible Yeah. over the summer. We're going to read a book called how not to read the Bible. We love that, <laughs> which is just great. So, mm-hmm. uh, stay tuned uh, for that friends. Did you plan that? Uh, that's kind, very yeah, fun. I didn't I realize you did that. That's, isn't that fun? Yeah. I never put that together. Thanks. So it was convenient, but then when, when it showed up, it just made perfect sense. So totally. yeah, we went there, but yes. we're talking about today um cultural vocabulary which is a phrase that i maybe someone else has come up with i don't Mm -hmm. know but um i've put that together to refer to uh maybe the cultural soup that we swim in in any culture swims in their own version of vocab Uh, and the best way i'm going to explain it is through examples so yeah let me just say tumbleweed Yes, you did the perfect thing. I didn't even set you up. Okay, if you're lost right now, you aren't familiar with old Western movies. I mean, if you're lost that bad, there's probably a tumbleweed in your background right now. (laughs) Because you're out in the middle of nowhere. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so I said tumbleweed, Jace. What did you Mm -hmm. think? I thought of the old West. Isn't that funny? And like an old like mining town or something. Sure. Mm -hmm. A gunslinger movie. Yes, gunslinger. I'm like picturing some scrawny dude in black with chaps like coming out from behind some rickety old wood building totally and he's got a gun on his hip and he sees the deputy or whatever and yeah. the sheriff and they're just like standing in a tumbleweed yeah like and rolls. then steve martin and martin short start singing <laughs> they break on a song yes <laughs> sorry that's a whole nother reference yeah, but... that's good another cultural vocabulary reference the three amigos some of them are more 
um, widely understood mm-hmm. than others. I think the tumbleweed one, if you're an American and have been American for very long, you mm-hmm. should probably pick up on the Wild West. For sure. I feel like that's Do used in like, I mean, that's used all throughout like our culture, even like modern day. Like you'll see like a, a, a business, like if it's like for like the square reader app and like, is your business like, like getting like no traction and no one can find you. You'll see like a tumbleweed, like go through a coffee shop. You're like, <laughs> but you know that like, Oh, it's like desolate. And like, yes. they're not getting business. Like try our app and you'll get all these more customers. And then it's like, everyone's happy and diverse. And it's like, great. <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. Wow. You show a tumbleweed and all of a sudden you communicate a lot of meaning really quickly. Mm-hmm. Or I'm thinking another metaphor for what you just said is crickets. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you walk into a room uh, say you're like watching a screen and you see someone walk into a room and you only see their face and you just hear crickets in the background, you know that, oh, it's like quiet. Either no one's there or everyone who is there mm-hmm. is not talking and they're staring at yeah. the person who just walked in. Yeah. Like they made some social faux pas and like now it's just like this awkward silence. <laughs> awkward silence. Mm-hmm. That's communicated through crickets. Isn't that funny? So this cultural language is kind of like... um is like lexicon the right word of like mm. the words within our that's fun just i don't know or i'm almost thinking like the word like zeitgeist like it's in like the popular yeah like like a tv show like a popular tv show people are going to quote it yeah a lot like the office or friends or something so i you know i think that's a facet of this okay but it's not um a full because picture. that's like a pop culture okay. facet of mm-hmm. it um like another example that I thought of that's fun is if I just yelled, you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> you're, I, you're probably picturing a I scene. yelled this in the office today. Were you here for that? <laughs> did you? I did. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Maybe that's why it was in my head. Um, that's yeah. Hilarious. It's from Elf. Elf. That's what I think of. I'm picturing. It smells like, like beef and cheddar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will Ferrell yelling at the fake Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You sit on a throne of lies. Say that and Mm -hmm. all of this emotion is communicated that those words by themselves don't communicate, but the words are carrying a context with them. And just because we all love the movie Elf in our culture, um, and no shame if you haven't seen the movie Elf, but go watch it now. I don't care Mm -hmm. if it's not Christmas. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then uh, that that context is brought in with those words inherently. Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't that fun? It's like a verbal hyperlink to a story that we all know. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. The word hyperlink, I think, is so helpful in this conversation. I love Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and I'll just get down these little hyperlink rabbit trails, learning mm-hmm. about the this origin of this origin of this origin, and then it's like I'm back to like the beginning of the earth. <laughs> Always winds up there somehow. Totally. After I search, like, I don't know princess diana or something you know (laughs) (laughs) totally which is a great search to begin with totally yeah but it it is i like that visual because you see a little blue word that's underlined and you click on it and all of a sudden that word has become its own article wow and if you understand that article then you go back to where you were you're now uploading an entire article in the place of that one word wow yeah you see what i mean so i said tumbleweed and you have a whole scene there's like plot lines and characters and drama. Yeah. All just because I said the word tumbleweed inside your head. So you mm-hmm. see how you're uploading all these thoughts. Cultures just do this. Mm-hmm. One example, um, I had to look this up years ago because I was listening to a musician called The Tallest Man on Earth. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. 
Oh, he rocks. Um, I'll big check him out. Fan. I'm a big fan. Um, but there's a song that mentions something about the Cadejo on the path, whether mm-hmm. it was white or black. Oh, wow. I didn't know what that was. Have you ever heard that? No. Yeah, I would have okay. thought it was like that box drum that you sit on, play it, trendy worship music. <laughs> yeah, but that's a cajon, I think. cajon, yeah. yeah. Both have a J in them mm-hmm. that is a soft J. So like Cadejo. Sorry. See, that's where my mind went. I saw the, I saw the J. I'm like, ah, oh, cajon. <laughs> For sure. It's a cajon. Cadejo. Um, I'm curious if, if any of our listeners have heard of that. You should mm-hmm. tell us because that's fun. But um, I just looked it up and it's basically folklore like indigenous people in central america believe that there's a dog that will meet you on the path in the middle of the night oh wow um and it's this big scary looking dog Mm -hmm. and if the that dog the cadejo is what it's called is white then it's good fortune for you and wherever you're passing you will be protected by the cadejo Mm -hmm. you'll be safe um so it's like good luck almost in their culture but if you see a black Cadejo, yeah. it means you're going to die oh. on this path. So like it's a, it's a bad omen in this indigenous culture. Just like in Harry Potter. Whoa. The Grimm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know that this is true, but I'm wondering if you go to Central America and you talk about the Cadejo, if they're all familiar with it. Because yeah. somehow it made it into this dude's song mm-hmm. and he's singing about the white or the black Cadejo. Well, it's like in our culture, like Bigfoot, you know, huh. if you just like translate that, like mm-hmm. you're telling a story about like a Bigfoot to someone in Korea, they'd be like, okay, you're talking about a guy who has big feet or is it just like a huge foot yeah. that's like animated and has legs, Whoa. you know, sure. like a mascot, you know? <laughs> You're like, what, what, who is Bigfoot? What is a big, like, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. But we, we have a whole idea, this whole, like, um, uh, lore about yeah, Bigfoot. That's fun. And I do believe he is real, but that's another podcast. Absolutely. <clears throat> and on. not just he, but they. <laughs> <laughs> All the big feet. Yeah, there's a whole, whole population of mm-hmm. them living in Mount St. Helens, but we'll get to that later. The feet family. <laughs> the feet family. <laughs> the large feet family. Um, so that's the idea of cultural vocabulary. Are you mm-hmm. kind of seeing it? Like, we don't see the Cadejo, just like other people might not see the tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. You sort of have to swim in the culture in order to catch some of these things. Not just pop culture references, but other things to consider with cultural vocabulary is um, how language is involved in our cultural vocabulary. So, Mm -hmm. like, I I put down the word aloha. Yeah. Is just a fun word that doesn't really exist in English. So, we've taken it from Hawaiian because it's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Or shalom is -hmm. like a Hebrew one. Yeah. That... I use a lot. Just maybe it's because I studied Hebrew. And we have our like own English spelling of shalom. Yes. Which, like in Hebrew, it doesn't look anything like our That's good. English lettering. Mm-hmm. Or I'm wondering about like the uh, Ubermensch. Is that a very common German word? Have you heard of it Ubermensch? U- Ubermensch. Mm. That's where the concept of Superman came from. Ubermensch means Superman in oh, German. Wow. Um uh, anyway, that's a Frederick Nietzsche reference, Nietzsche reference. But I'm trying to think of another one, like a French word, repertoire. Mm-hmm. Repertoire is a yeah. French. You know, we, ha- we we borrow words from other languages because our language doesn't have those words in them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those could be cultural references. Uh, I'm thinking like a career. If I say, man, I don't want to be a used car salesman for God. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about evangelism, but I'm uploading a cultural vocabulary um, concept of what a used car salesman is and not to like bash on used car salesman. If you're listening and that's what you do for a living, yeah. it's an honest wage, but, um, there's a connotation that comes with that. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or if I said like that bullhorn guy on yeah. the corner, I, I just mentioned the thing that an evangelist street preacher might be holding. And all of a sudden you're uploading all this cultural context mm-hmm. of like what they're probably saying in mm-hmm. the bullhorn, like, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Just outside of even what they're looking like. That makes sense. There's different examples of this kind of thing. And um, what I want to talk about today is how the Bible has all of this. Every culture has Mm -hmm. their own versions of this. And to a certain degree, we have taken a lot of our vocabulary from the Bible. But we're far enough removed and in a different culture that when we do read the Bible, a lot of its cultural vocabulary is lost on us. Mm-hmm. So I thought today would be fun to just survey some biblical vocabulary. Yeah. Um, and not like literal vocab, like words, mm-hmm. but concepts like this. Yeah. That if they were a hyperlink on a Wikipedia article, you could click them and it would come up with all this meaning that you didn't know. Um, sound fun? That sounds great. So with that, hmm, let's see. Where to begin? Okay, let's just do this. When you're looking at the Bible to read it and you see patterns, um, one way that people have talked about a really valuable, uh, a, a really valuable tool in Bible study is what's called the Law of First Mentions. Have you ever heard of that before, Jace? No. You could probably guess what it is. Mm-hmm the first time that something is mentioned in the Bible is a really significant thing. Yeah. An example of this is God. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this on our podcast before. Uh, can you guess a little Bible trivia moment? When was the first time God is described as being angry in the Bible? Oh, if you start in Genesis and mm-hmm. go through, um, when's the first time that God is angry and you listener be thinking also, my can I yeah guess? please my guess is like Noah the story of Noah maybe great guess mm-hmm. totally that's mm-hmm. where my mind would go to yeah because God does some gnarly things in the Noah story with the flood yeah yeah fascinating then that anger is not mentioned in that story oh, wow. mm-hmm. um instead grief is mentioned as God's emotion mm-hmm. instead he's grieved his it's like his heart is broken when he brings the flood. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to do it is almost what it feels like. Yeah. He regrets that he made man, it says, which mm-hmm. is a really hard text. Bummer. But then it makes it sound like he also regrets that he has to bring the flood, but it's just what he has to do. Mm-hmm. It's like human sin has forced his hand. Um, and he's not angry. He's not described as angry, at least. Mm-hmm. So Cain and Abel, he's not described as angry there. Hmm. Um, the fall. I'm guessing. Yeah, not, not described as angry there. Uh, the Tower of Babel, not described as angry there. Hmm. But there's judgment happening yeah. in all of these things. He isn't described as angry until the burning bush. Oh. Exodus 3, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, where it could be 4, I forget. But 
basically God is saying, Moses, I want you to lead the people out of slavery. M- Moses says no. And he comes up with an excuse mm-hmm. after an excuse, after an excuse. He's like, uh, I don't, what if, who am I going to tell you that, who am I going to tell these people sent me, Lord, what's yeah. your name? And that's where we get the divine name from. Mm-hmm. He says, I am that I am. Um, but he also says like, I have a stutter and what signs am I going to show these people? And so you can tell that Moses is reluctant and God answers all of his reluctance. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the fifth time, Moses just says, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah. He's come up, he's stopped coming up with excuses. Mm-hmm. He just says no. And God dis- is described as getting angry. His nose burns hot. That's, how, crazy. that's the yeah. way that the, the Hebrew describes anger. Mm-hmm. You, he was hot nosed <laughs> or his nose burned hot. That's interesting. And then um, if... But what's cool about God in the Bible is that he's described as having a long nose. <laughs> really? Isn't that funny? I did not know that. That's the way that the Hebrew tells it. I don't know if our English translations necessarily say that, but mm-hmm. that God has a long nose means that he's slow to anger, that he's patient in becoming angry. So that's exemplified in that story that like God doesn't come out as angry right out the bat when Moses says no. God wants to work with Moses. He's like, okay, you're afraid that you don't know my name. Here's my name. You need some signs. Let me give you some signs. God's accommodating here. He's like, let me work with you. You have a stutter. Like, I don't care that you have a stutter. I'll still work with your weak Mm -hmm. tongue. I'm the one that created your tongue anyway. But if that's going to be such a hang up, let's work with your brother Aaron also. Yeah. Um, and then in all of this accommodation, God's trying to meet Moses where he's at. Eventually he gets angry and he's like, dang it, Moses, just do what I'm saying. Yeah. That's the context where anger is first introduced in the Bible. That's so interesting. And it, I guess if that's where it's first described, then what do you think about the character of God and his anger? Well, I know that later on in, Mo- in Exodus, he refers to himself as slow to anger. So I would mm-hmm. immediately go there yeah. in just hearing the words God and angry. Um, but yeah, that's like, you know, a few hundred years where he doesn't get angry with people yeah. in the written history, um, which is interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I guess in the law of first dimensions, that's a really significant thing because mm-hmm. we're deriving our understanding of God's anger from that first, as if this story of God's anger lays a foundation. And then everything else about God's anger throughout the Bible is built on top of that foundation, that he's patient in his anger, Mm. that he's willing to work with you. And that if you keep not being um, accommodating to God's accommodation, then eventually he's going to get frustrated and he's going to say, all right, well, you're going to force my hand here. Totally. You see, and yeah, that'll wow. change the way that you construct God's anger if you start on that foundation. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's also like what makes him angry for the first time is someone like consciously getting in the way of what justice he wants to bring. Wow. Which is kind of cool. I'm knowing like that. how important justice is to God from mm. what I've studied. You know, it's like before it's just like the fallenness of man, the selfishness, and it grieves him at the loss of a human life. Mm-hmm. But this is like 
dude, you are like messing up the narrative here. Whoa. Like that kind of thing. The narrative that I'm trying to write. Yeah. And like, like you should be stoked that we're trying to mm-hmm. deliver these slaves out of Egypt. Totally. And you get to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. This is important. Moses, wake up. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. That's good. Okay. So that's an example of the law of first mentions. So if um, we're only going to come up with a few examples of cultural vocabulary in the Bible, if you're like, I want more, is there an exhaustive list that I can find somewhere? Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. I haven't looked all that hard for one. Um, My guess is no, there's no exhaustive list other than the Bible itself. What you could do is just read the Bible. <laughs> oh, got him. Oh. <laughs> but the idea that uh, Dr. Tim Mackey on the Bible Project suggests is read Genesis a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He said 50 times, which is great. Oh. There's 50 chapters. Read it 50 times. Mm-hmm. It's a lot yeah. of reading. Um, but if you do that, if you steep yourself in Genesis, you're going to get really familiar with the different images that mm-hmm. come up in Genesis. And because it's the first book, it's the book that's full of a ton of first mentions. Mm-hmm. Now that funny, that example of anger doesn't occur in Genesis. That's an Exodus. So you could read Exodus too and look for more first mentions, but, mm-hmm. but pay attention to the symbolism, the images, the words that you see repeated and that seem significant in Genesis. And then as you read later on through the Bible, what is connecting back to those things that you saw in Genesis? Mm-hmm. That's an example of where you might be able to find some cultural vocabulary. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It, it's like uh, Genesis is a little encyclopedia full of the images that the later books are going to be drawing from. So mm-hmm. when you're reading Isaiah or Ezekiel, you see pictures from Genesis all over it in the prophetic imagery. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have any concept of Genesis, when you go to read Ezekiel, then you're going to be uploading your own understanding of these symbols and images. And they might not import the same Wikipedia hyperlink article mm-hmm. as Genesis would have. Yeah. Are you tracking yeah, with me? Totally. Does that make sense? The yeah. question I had was, I guess in the Hebrew Bible, is the, the first five are in the same order, correct? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you asked. The, the yeah. Pentateuch? Yep. Is that what the, yeah. Nice. And uh, so I was just like, well, like, what if the Bible is in a different order? But like, mm. I think Genesis is the beginning, <laughs> obviously. So um, <laughs> I guess that's always, but I was like, maybe even like you steeped yourself in those first five. That's mm. going to be what so much of the Israelites pulled from for so long until the rest of it was compiled. Totally. And so you're probably going to get most, almost all the language that they reference back in that. Totally. Yep. Um, Another question I have is in the more historical books, like, would that be like Kings? Yeah. Kings, Samuel. Kings, Chronicle, Samuel. Mm -hmm. Are there these still kind of hyperlinks back or do those, are those more just in the prophetic books? Oh, yes. They're. Does that question make sense? uh Uh-huh. Those hyperlinks back are. Um, I wish I came a little bit more prepared, but one that's just on the top of my mind was something I mentioned in a podcast. Part one, I think, of this conversation mm-hmm. is about the snake crusher. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the one who crushes the snake is an idea that's presented to you as a symbolic, like a design pattern in scripture mm-hmm. in Genesis 3. And then it will come up again with kings. 
Okay. Um, you'll see King Saul kill a snake, a quote unquote snake, a guy named Nahash, which uh-huh. is the Hebrew word for snake. You'll see King David kill his snake, which is Goliath. Um, so you can follow Interesting. Yeah, certain yeah, yeah. hyperlinks okay. like yeah. that. They definitely track through those historical books. That's cool. Um, they just do it in a narrative way rather than a poetic way. Mm-hmm. And the prophets are typically doing it in a poetic way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. That's that makes sense. Cool. Um, should we dive into what some of these, like what yeah, some of this cultural, cultural voca- vocabulary is? That'd be good because I I don't even know what I don't know. Yeah, you know? I guess so. Well, one is super intuitive, I would say, for mm-hmm. our culture as well as the Bible, and that is introduced super early. God mm-hmm. says, "Let there be light." Light. Yeah. Light. So that implies that there was just darkness. Mm-hmm. I don't think it even implies that. I think it actually says that in verse two, that darkness was over the face of the deep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're getting these different, mm, these different ideas presented to you mm-hmm. just there in the first couple verses. You have darkness. You have the deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, God says, let there be light. And now light is introducing some kind of order that overthrows the darkness Mm -hmm. right at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, And I would say just to the human's limbic system, that's like a really (laughs) wonderful thing. (laughs) Because I don't know, fear of the dark is probably one of the most common fears Mm -hmm. in humans, especially kids. Don't you think? Totally. Absolutely. I don't know if anybody else is afraid of the dark. I was definitely afraid of dark as a kid. And so, I mean, if I'm like in the woods in the dark, super scary. For sure, right? Or even like if you're in your house that usually has other people in it, but nobody else is in it mm-hmm. and it's dark and quiet. Yeah. Something about that that's just kind of spooky. Totally. But you turn the lights on, the fear is just gone. 100%. It's like it's baked into our biology. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that that would be an image that the Bible authors would use a lot. And you see that all over the place. I forget which chapter somewhere in Isaiah it's talking about, um, in the fifties, maybe like the people of God groping about like a blind person, Mm -hmm. um, holding on to the walls in our sin. Like we're, we're helpless. And as a blind person, it's like, turning the volume of darkness up all the way. It's like, there's mm-hmm. so much dark in your world that you actually can't see anything. You're just blind. Wow. Um, and dark is your reality, mm-hmm. at least visually. Yeah. Um, which, you know, becomes like a pretty compelling idea when mm-hmm. it's mapped onto all of the other thoughts of darkness throughout human history and especially in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Or then you read John chapter one and you say, uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, that the word was the light and the light was the, or in the word was life and the life was the light of men, I think is what it says. And the Mm -hmm. darkness cannot overcome it. Mm -hmm. You know that one? Yeah. Or in Psalm 139, it says, even the darkness is as light to you, Lord. Um, So that's vocabulary language within their culture. Like if darkness is light to you, um, I'm, I'm using dark and light there as different images that are uploading. Dark comes with fear. Mm -hmm. It might come with, um, danger. 
Yeah. Whereas then light will come peace mm -hmm. and safety. Um, but I didn't say peace and safety. I said light, you know, but mm -hmm. when I say light, peace and safety come into your mind yeah. when it's pitted against darkness. So that's, that's a good place to start because it's a really intuitive one. I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's fair. Yeah, that's good. Another is just garden of Eden imagery. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an umbrella category. Um, when I say that, are you thinking like what kind of imagery might exist in the garden of Eden? Jace, I'm putting you on the spot. Mm, rivers, trees. Nice. Kind of thing. Yep. Kind of that's what I guess has been illustrated for me before. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically apple trees. <laughs> cool. Yeah, <that> totally. <laughs> you know, I don't think we have any record that it was an apple, but, um, yeah, but yeah for forbidden fruit, that that's kind of thing. Yeah, the Hebrew doesn't say apple. It says fruit. Mm -hmm. I don't know where apple was the idea. That, like when that got introduced. I mean, a red apple is kind of like this like tempting thing. It's kind of sinister. Mm -hmm. Is that because it is tempting or because culture has made it tempting? I mean, I think of like Snow White. Snow White. You the, know? Okay, that was my other thought. Totally. So it's like I think that that the fact that a red apple could be like this tempting thing or like trying to like trick someone <laughs> is because of our culture. That'd be like a cultural language for us. Yeah. Like a red apple might not have the same effect on even like, like, like someone in India. Sure. You know? They're mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Or I'm thinking of a red apple could also be sitting on a teacher's desk with a pencil next to it. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, Oh, like a student brought that for their teacher as like a teacher appreciation week thing. Yeah. Not that, students actually bring apples to their teachers but i think people maybe did that at some point i think so they they give out teacher awards that are called the red apple and the golden apple award oh interesting um, yeah my mom won one once oh that's cool one one once <laughs> english was, english is i weird. love that <laughs> oh man <laughs> so funny so that's a different connotation with apple Mm -hmm. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit trail, but okay. Yes. So you're thinking trees, mm -hmm. specifically fruit trees. Yeah. Um, do those come up anywhere else in the Bible off the top of your head? I mean, we've talked about trees before. Mm -hmm. I forget where they all come up. Yeah, right no, now. you're fine. But, um, but do, but I'm totally putting yeah, you on the spot. I'm, we did talk about it actually just a couple episodes ago, but I'll say that's, that's for sure a strong image that's mm -hmm. woven all throughout. Um, even Jesus talks about like, you can tell um, a false prophet by whether they bear fruit, oh. by their fruit. Mm -hmm. You can, you know. Totally. Um, we still use imagery like that. Uh, abide in me. Yeah. You can do nothing apart from me. Um, so Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Mm -hmm. Abide. And then you'll grow fruit because you're abiding in the vine. Uh, that's some New Testament example. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all throughout the Old Testament too. So trees are for sure a strong image. Mm -hmm. uh, rivers. There are four rivers in the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? Mentioned? I, I feel like I only remember the two. Yeah. The, which ones do you remember? The Euphrates. Nice. And the Titus. Yeah. Tigris. Tigris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Gihon, the Gihon, which there's a bunch of debate on what that river is. Mm -hmm. I don't know the debate very well, but 
I have heard someone say, and I like this answer, that the Gihon um, is mentioned one other place in the Bible as the water source for Jerusalem. Oh, wow. So uh, Tigris would have been the river, I think that would have, okay, don't quote me on this, but I think the river Tigris would have sourced the empire Assyria. Oh, wow. Euphrates would have sourced the Babylonian empire pretty Mm -hmm. well. The Gihon was sourcing um, Jerusalem, the Israelites. And then the Pishon uh, is another name for potentially the Nile River, which is sourcing the Egyptians. Egyptians. Yeah. So in the worldview of the Old Testament, those are those are the four great powers, mm-hmm. like themselves. Well, yeah. And the four large empires surrounding them, or the three large empires surrounding them. Yeah. Fun, right? That's super cool. So that's to say that all of the powerful nations derive their very life life source from the same essential um, heaven place mm-hmm. that we're calling Eden. Uh, yeah, there's a lot that we could do wow, with that. That's cool. But rivers, uh, can you think of rivers as a symbol throughout the rest of the Old Testament? Does that come like, up? Like, I mean, I think of Psalm 23. Mm. St- well, it's still waters. It's not a river. That's fun though. Yeah. But water. Uh-huh. And, you know, baptized in the river. Okay. Yeah. Um, Baptism. Like a river of, is a river of life? I only think of the song, the kid's song. Yeah. But I'm like. I've got a river of life flowing Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. of me. Is that like, that's, is that a scripture? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. It is. Praise God. Uh, I want to say it's, shoot, uh, John chapter seven. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus is celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And he basically says, all who are thirsty, come to me. Mm -hmm. And I will give you living water, drink. And then out of you will flow rivers of living water. That's my paraphrase. Is that what he says? Um, Did you find it? I didn't find that, but it brought up Revelation 22. Oh, there you go. me a river of water of life, bright as crystal, proceeding out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's great. That's pretty cool. That's one, one thing we could say is if, like Genesis, the Garden of Eden, is an introduction to most of these patterns, The what we see in Revelation is kind of a, fulfillment mm-hmm. of these images. I've heard there's a lot of like that garden imagery in Revelation. Totally. Tons of garden imagery. Mm-hmm. Rivers, trees. Uh you also like you said fruit, trees. Fruit is also another image. Like pomegranates come up a fair amount when you're talking about the construction of the tabernacle or the temple. Pomegranates are seen as this like luxury fruit that symbolizes abundance. Mm-hmm. So um, like if pomegranates are hanging on something, it's a symbol of we're in Eden now. Mm-hmm. Or if in Song of Songs, your temples are two halves of a pomegranate. <laughs> that means like you have Eden beauty mm-hmm. all over your face. Huh. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But that's like cultural vocabulary that you don't get unless pomegranate to you takes you back to Eden. My question for you is how does someone learn about these cultural mm-hmm. vocabulary things that yeah. are in the Bible with, I mean, in like, do you just have to listen to a podcast about them? Like right. where, like, how do you, how do you get this context? 
and then we can go into more examples, but I'm just like, yes. that, that's my, I'm kind of sitting here. I'm like, well, this is great, but this feels like so extra biblical that it's like, hmm. yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to learn this, but how do I, how do I learn it? How do you learn? How it? do I get this context? I think, I mean, one read Genesis 50 mm-hmm. times and circle things that you notice. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just going to have to spend time in the Bible Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this podcast helps like get people started. Yeah. That's why I felt compelled to do this podcast is totally. because I thought people might be asking that question and mm-hmm. that it would equip some people. Um, another thing you can do is like, as you read your Bible, look at a word that you don't know, say Sheol comes up mm-hmm. um, and circle it. And if you say, I don't know what that means. Like I've gone down to Sheol. Yeah. What is that? Google it or look it up in um, concordance (laughs) or study Bible or something, you know, and it'll tell you that it's the grave. It's like the Mm -hmm. underworld where the dead people go in (laughs) the biblical mind. Sorry. I'm laughing because (laughs) there was a time where Jordan Werner and I were teaching sixth grade Sunday school. At, at Eagle Naz. Really? And I was reading some psalm that has like, even if I go to Sheol, mm-hmm. there's, you're with me, that thing. <laughs> I, in my ignorance, didn't know what Sheol was. I thought it was just like a place, sure. like just a town. <laughs> and so I replaced it to be relevant to these kids with the word <laughs> Eagle, the city we were in. <laughs> and Jordan just looks at me. He's like, I don't know if that was the right thing to say. <laughs> I'm like, well, I just thought like, just to make it like relevant to these kids. It's like, you know, even, even an Eagle, you're with me. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's like, it's like a, you know, the underworld, like it's a version of hell. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. No, I do have a higher view of Eagle than that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fun. So cultural vocabulary That's is important, good. you know? Wow. I, that's a perfect example. <laughs> that's like a cultural vocab gap oh, that yeah. you had. Totally. And I, I mean, I still have, um, all the time over the Bible. That's such a good example. <laughs> like sometimes it talks about God destroying Rahab mm-hmm. in a few different Psalms and prophet, like prophetic chapters. Yeah. And I'm confused because Rahab is a character. Yeah. You know, like in, in uh, Exodus, right? Uh, in the Joshua story. Oh, Joshua. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where they go into Jericho. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. Yeah. And she like has the thing in the window. Yep. Is that Rahab? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got her. Yeah. I think she's, she's like a pagan or not pagan, but she's a Canaanite. Well, mm-hmm. maybe she's pagan then. Yeah. yeah. Canaanite prostitute who fears the Lord because she hears about the Exodus. And yeah, she... Wow, like, that's so she sets mm-hmm. up um she sets up the Israelites to destroy Jericho basically so mm-hmm. that they can start um entry into the Holy Land. So she's a significant character and she's in the line of David and Jesus. Um but what's but she's a good character and God mm-hmm. is described as destroying Rahab in yeah. some places um and it's confusing and anyway I recently learned that um, that Rahav that God is destroying Rahab is not referring to the woman Rahab. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what a lot of ancient biblical scholars think 
it's a reference to the chief god of Egypt. Oh, interesting. I think Ra, yeah. the god of the sun, mm-hmm. the way that in Egypt it was maybe pronounced Ra, but in Hebrew it was pronounced Rahav. So oh, okay. yeah. it, it, those, whenever that's mentioned, it's like God is destroying the Egyptian gods uh, and their powers. Um, but you have to like Google that. Totally. So maybe what I would do if I were you is have a study Bible, look in the footnotes, see if your footnotes help tell you what different words are that you don't know. And if they don't help, then yeah, see if Bible hub can help you out online. Mm-hmm. Um, and see if there are previous Bible passages that reference that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that will help you. Yeah. Uh, I, I figured that was probably the answer to how do mm-hmm. I figure this stuff out, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure whenever you probably hear a phrase that like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Even I think someone who's learning English or doesn't know like just the intricacies of language, like the faces of the deep wow. could be like, you know, yeah. actual, like it's like, you know, if you didn't recognize like faces meant surfaces and it's like, you just didn't have that context of the Bible at all. So it's like, I'm sure now in this day and age, we have Google, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I think the second question I want to ask you just for the listeners is, um, in your opinion, is it a, is it a have to kind of a thing? Oh, good question. Like, are you like, are we, are we misreading the Bible if we don't do the, the extra biblical research? Hmm. I'll say it's not a have to thing, mm-hmm. but you will get more out of it if you do this. Yeah. Um, because you're going to start appreciating Oh, wow. It's talking about God destroying the gods of Egypt. All of a sudden, if I see that, now I'm celebrating that God is destroying the other powers of darkness in the world mm-hmm. on like a celestial level. Yeah. And I celebrate that. Like that might do something for me in my devotion time. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do that work, I'll miss that nugget. Yeah. Um, or we'll just have question marks. But one thing I'll say is, even if you aspire to answer all these questions, you, you won't be able to Mm -hmm. for every single question in a lifetime. So, um, don't let that feel overwhelming or insurmountable. I hope that feels exciting. Yeah. Like there's so much, so many golden nuggets in the scriptures that I could just mine and enjoy them my entire life. And as I read and reread, it's like a passage that at one point didn't really mean anything to me because it didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. The more I read the Bible, the more it will make sense because I'll be picking up on that cultural vocabulary and then I'll, I'll be celebrating like, Whoa, it didn't have meaning for me before, but now it does. And God's able to speak to me through it because of that. Um, so if that's what you're after, then I would say it probably is a have to thing, Mm -hmm. but the good news is, is that this will just come by reading your Bible. Totally. You'll just have to keep reading your whole life, meditating mm-hmm. on it day and night, as Psalm 1 says. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. our utmost desire should be to know God. Yeah. And to have that, to desire to know God is to desire to read the scriptures time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm playing a little bit devil's advocate. Yeah. But I think an interesting segue would be, what is a passage for you that like came to life learning about like kind of the cultural um, 
the cultural language or the cultural yeah view is it i'm putting it on the spot but no that's great i'm thinking okay well the, i don't know that this exactly answers the question but mm -hmm. i was recently reading isaiah i'm reading through isaiah right now and i was in chapter 38 i believe mm -hmm. and it's talking about hezekiah the king getting sick mm -hmm. and it describes hezekiah um He's so sick, a uh, prophet comes to him and says, you're going to die, Hezekiah. This is going to take you out. I'm sorry, but this is the end for you. And Hezekiah starts crying out to God, like, I'm not ready to go, Lord. Don't take me. Yeah. Like, don't. Don't let this be the end. And he's contending for his own salvation. Mm -hmm. um, and then God comes through another prophet and says, I've heard your cries and I'll give you 15 more years. <laughs> is that wild? <laughs> That is super wild. Yeah. And then God says, and this will be the sign for you um, that I, I should read it because it's kind of weird, but it's like where the sun used to be, I'm now going to move the sun back 10 stairs or something. So it's really vague. Yeah. And I'm over here asking like, wait, what is it talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Here, behold, I will cause the shadow on the stairway, which has gone down with the sun on the stairway of Ahaz to go back 10 steps. And then it says, so the sun's shadow went back 10 steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. Hmm. Um, to me, that's a question mark. Yeah. Even right now. Totally. You know, I could hear the question mark in your tone mm -hmm. of your, hmm. yeah. Um, if someone knows what that means, please send us an email at deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. <laughs> and that won't be a question mark for us forever, I hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll study at some point and try and figure out what's going on there. But then what's cool is um, what comes right after that is a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness. And then it goes on. There's this like poem and prayer where Hezekiah is lamenting that he's going to die and he is asking for God to save him, which is weird because God just saved him mm -hmm. a few verses before it feels out of yeah. order. And then at the end of it, he says, um, like, show me a sign. Where does it say at? Um, verse 22 of chapter 38, then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Like, what's the sign that I'm going to recover mm -hmm. again, like out of order that already happened, Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. What are you backwards? Um, and then it occurred to me because of some of the cultural vocabulary that we talked about before poetic structure, mm -hmm. there's a chiasm happening here. Oh Yeah. So there's a little text that tells you Hezekiah cries out and that is symmetrical with Hezekiah actually crying out. Mm -hmm. And what's in between is the thing that's trying to be highlighted, which is God's salvation of Hezekiah. Hmm. So God saving him is supposed to be like the climax moment mm -hmm. and it's surrounded by crying out. And I think if I, if I hadn't seen or if I didn't know that that kind of poetic structure was a way that Hebrew authors wrote, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have understood that. Yeah. But because I understand that symmetrical poetic scheme called a chiasm, now I see that all of this is pointing to 
how we are to call upon the Lord and mm-hmm. how the Lord hears the cries of his people and yeah. he is good and he saves his people when we cry to him. Hmm. That's so cool. Um, sometimes not in the way that we anticipate he will, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I like, I'm getting more out of that passage because of that. Yeah, totally. But there's still more there for me mm-hmm. in the sign and so on. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah, kind of no, that's the a good, that's a great reference. Or another one that came up to my mind. Do you remember the Stephanie Gretzinger version of the song? Um, Show me your face, Lord. Show me your face. Mm-hmm. And gird up my legs. Yeah. That I might stand in your holy place. Totally. I think you asked me at one point, mm-hmm. what What does that mean? Totally. To gird up your legs? Mm-hmm. Um, cultural vocabulary. Yeah. We don't use that word, gird. Totally. I looked it up because I was like, I think I know what it means. But basically this, this is a concept for people when they were wearing robes that for men, it was like difficult to run around in Mm -hmm. your robe. And you had this certain like sash cloth that you would tie around your legs and then up through the middle of your legs in order to secure your robe Mm -hmm. so that you could run or so that you were ready to move. Mm -hmm. That was what it meant to gird your loins. Mm -hmm. Um, so in scripture that becomes a metaphor for like, get ready. Yeah. Um, like get in your ready stance. I don't know Mm -hmm. your three point stance. What's it called when you're yourself? Oh yeah. Basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm thinking your feet are shoulder width and your knees are bent a little bit and you're like Mm -hmm. ready to catch the ball. Totally. Yeah. Like that, that's the ready stance. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew way of describing the ready stance is to gird your loins Mm -hmm. to like tie this metaphorically or literally to tie this cloth around you so that your robe is prepared for you to do some running. Yeah. There's, there's some culture yeah, for you right totally. there. That's good. I don't know. Did, that's not something you do today when <laughs> you wear your, your robes in yeah. downtown Eagle. I've never girded my robes ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, yeah, put on your running shoes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there you go. In modern day or like, or buckle like, your seatbelt maybe is mm-hmm. one that we do. Yeah. Buckle up. Buckle up. Buckle up so yeah. I might stand in your holy place. Wow. <laughs> that, that could be like a modern day cultural adaptation mm-hmm. of that. Like, get ready because this is about to be wild. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like uh, right before God says anything to Job, um, towards the end of the book of Job, God speaks these incredible divine speeches to Job. Mm-hmm. But right at the very beginning... He says, gird your loins like a man, Job. (laughs) Like a man. (laughs) Which I just always thought was fun when I read Mm -hmm. Job. Totally. I'm picturing God saying like, okay, buckle up, like get ready because I'm about to say some hard stuff. (laughs) You're about to encounter the sovereignty of God. So buckle up. Mm. You know, that's what he's saying. That's fun. But you miss it if you don't know that cultural reference. Mm -hmm. So, and if you, if you still miss it, that's okay. But if you don't want to miss it, do a little research. Mm -hmm. Google, compare and contrast other places where it says to gird your loins in that example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. Mm. Uh, One one example that I'm thinking of. Please. just, Just seeing if that is the cultural vocabulary. But when Jesus is talking about, like he says, you know, go the extra mile. But he also like says... Um, 
like give your coat, like if someone takes your shirt, give your coat as well. Yeah. Something like that, I think. Yes. And I, I remember like we go the extra mile is now in our vocabulary mm-hmm. in English, which I believe is taken from scripture. Yeah. But, but the one I always remember like the coat one made less sense to me until it was cleared up. So I'm not sure if that like, does that count as like, it, I mean, I, I feel like in context you were able to read it without knowing exactly what it means because it's like, Oh, like, um, mm-hmm. like selflessly give. Yep. Essentially. Or like kind of choose an, a, a, maybe a, a not violent protest. That's good. Um, and so I think in context we can pick that up, but I'm sure there is something we get out of that when we know what's going on too. So kind of like where it's not a have to, but it, it just makes it better knowing like the historical mm-hmm. something about a Roman something. Maybe yeah. I'm not sure. I remember, I forget what it was talking about, but I, maybe this is a fun little metaphor. Like if you're going to go to Italy, go have fun. It'll be great. Do you have to do any prep work? No. Yeah. However, if you have the time and energy do some research, mm-hmm. learn about the history of the cities that you're about to go to. Maybe learn some basic Italian phrases. It's going to enhance your experience. Mm-hmm. I, I bet that's this, a great analogy. Do you see that's that analogy? Really good. Yeah. So I, I'm, I just found what you were talking about. This is on the sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter five. Jesus is talking. He says, I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. That one's the famous, that's the famous Mm -hmm. one. Turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat also. Um, Let me see. Or cloak. Mm -hmm. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Which part of that is those, those are just clothing items that we don't wear anymore. So it would be more helpful to be familiar with that, but then what does that leave you with? Like, you don't really know. I think I've heard someone say, this is off the cuff, but I've heard someone say that if you give someone both your tunic and your cloak, then your upper body is naked. Mm -hmm. And that could bring shame to the person who subjected you to that like upper body nudity. Oh, interesting. So it's a way of saying like, hey, you're going to take advantage of me. Then like, you're going to expose me in this public space. Like shame on you for doing that. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm not resisting you. Mm-hmm. That's a way of. But you're um, making them feel things. But you're making them feel yeah, things. That's interesting. Do you know that it's a proverb? Honestly, a proverb that for me was a big question mark. But more recently, I'm starting to understand it more. It says, um, be, oh, I'm going to paraphrase it. I should just look it up. It's like, be kind to the one who is hateful towards you mm-hmm. um, in being kind you will pour hot coals over his head. Have you heard that before? Yes, yeah. Which is like, whoa, what? Pouring mm-hmm. coals over his head? That's savage. Um, that's a metaphor. You're not actually dumping coals over his head. Let me look it up. You will pour. I mean, I can. I feel like I can get sort of what they're talking about, how it's like you're killing them with kindness kind of a thing, where it's like they're expecting you to you know, become frustrated or angry or to submit like in the case of like a bully. But when you're just like kind, it kind of throws them off and you're like, Oh, I don't, 
that's not what I was hoping to happen. You know, that's good. Like I'm more just doing this cause I'm insecure and want attention, you know? <laughs> sure. Or, or just, yeah. Yeah. And so, and I kind of want to fight because then I can flex and strong man and we can get angry with each other. It's not unlike Facebook today during politics era. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great reference. Like come at me. Yeah. Let's, mm-hmm. let's duke it out. And then instead of duking it out, if you're just kind and honoring to mm-hmm. the other person, you throw them off. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's Proverbs 25, um, 21 through 22. So chapter 25. Uh, but I think that's, Jesus is saying, I think, similar things. And mm-hmm. how should you handle these um, Roman captors that are abusing you and treating you like less than mm-hmm. humans? It's like, well, be kind, be generous, be hospitable, even to the point where like you shame them for how cruel they're being to you while you're being so kind to them. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's kind of baller. Mm-hmm. Super baller. <laughs> yeah. So punk rock. <laughs> so punk rock. But you like, you, you miss, you could, could miss that if you don't have that cultural vocabulary. Um, I'm thinking of maybe a couple other examples. How much time do we have? Um, I should probably call it pretty soon. Ah, uh, yeah. Pretty soon. Mm. Somewhere in there. Okay. So here, here's one that I think is helpful. Oh, have you heard of like sackcloth and ashes? Is that a pretty familiar one? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, I grew up in the church, so I feel like a lot of yeah. these aren't like foreign to me. Super. Foreign. Um, so, but I'm like, I think I know that to be like mourning. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. in distress, sadness. Yeah. But like sackcloth, similar to like <laughs> how we use wineskin. It's like, <laughs> I think of like a burlap sack, Yeah. but I'm like, did people actually wear those? Are they actually just doing like that? You know? that game where you're jumping a sack race, you know, it's like, it's like, it doesn't, I'm sure it doesn't translate in the way it was like, like what Yeah. I know in my head, I'm not seeing what an ancient Hebrew mm-hmm. would be seen. Yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. Like why, when someone was so upset, did they tear their clothes? I've never torn my clothes out of anger, mm-hmm. but that's because it was a cultural thing to do like deep mourning. Oh, like that Hezekiah story. It's all over the place, but that Hezekiah story, Sennacherib, the emperor of Assyria is coming and he says, like, don't go to your God because your God can't save you. I will destroy you like I destroyed everybody else. Mm -hmm. And the Israelites that hear this message tear their clothes and then run to King Hezekiah and share the message. And then Hezekiah tears his clothes and then he goes to the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple. Like weird detail. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, it's a way of mourning. It's a way of saying, honestly, I, I, I don't have that cultural vocab as well as yeah. I'd like to. I got, I mean, there's gotta be a good definition of, or like even a story behind it, because I think even in like British culture, like I'm trying to think, I feel like I've seen in a movie where like tear the shoulder of like a, oh, a yeah. soldier or like a general when they've been disgraced. Interesting. Do yes. You, do you have that visual in your head? Yeah, I do. Actually, so I don't know what that's from. Super but, vague, but, but yeah. I'm like, there, there's got to be something to that, just in human history, like this. Yes. I'm, this necessity. I'm just going to sacrifice 
in my sadness. Like even my clothing, it doesn't matter because what's happening right now is so devastating. Wow. I'm pouring ashes on my head as a symbol of like how I'm, I am dust and I'm going to dust. Like mm -hmm. I am ashes. Um, like I'm out of control. Lord help me. It's a symbol of also not just mourning, but, um, humility, like a deep humbling of oneself before mm -hmm. God often. Um, so yeah, maybe just keep your eyes peeled for that. And if mm -hmm. you haven't, then if you haven't noticed it, then notice it. Cause it's all over the old Testament, especially because bad news is constantly being given. <laughs> yeah. Another one that w w could be a whole series of podcasts is the cosmology of the Bible, hmm. which is a fancy way of saying the way that they understood the world and the universe and how it all worked. Um, it's not really super scientific because they didn't scientifically understand the world as much as they, you know, tried to make sense of things that they couldn't make sense of because it was 4,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but we see this in Genesis 1 when God separates the waters from the waters and it talks about the waters below and the waters above. Yeah. And so the biblical imagination has like an ocean of water in the sky. And here, I'm going to read this little chunk of Isaiah 24 to exemplify this. Mm -hmm. um, Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. <laughs> Bummer. So you're catching like these, those are trapping terms mm -hmm. for hunter gatherers, yeah. you know, that we're trying to capture food for the windows above are opened and the foundations of the earth shake. Um, the earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through the earth is shaken violently. Um, it's crazy. Like prophetic language. That's really compelling. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just wanted to say the windows above is like a pointing to the way that they understood this. Um, I've heard it described as a sky dome, mm -hmm. <laughs> like the, the waters above. Yeah. And that the air that we breathe and live in is just a gift from God because he's constantly holding back a massive ocean that's above us in the mm -hmm. sky. And when it rains, he opens windows in that dome so that we can have water on the earth. Interesting. Isn't that yeah, crazy? Totally. Like that's, that's how they viewed things mm -hmm. genuinely, which uh, isn't a bad thing that like it's written there and it's not scientifically accurate. I think some people can get held up mm -hmm. by that. Yeah. And I've seen like some crazy videos trying to explain how like 2000 years ago there actually was water in the sky so that this can be literal. Yes. But we don't have to like, you know, just hold tight to this cause it's just yeah. cultural, mm -hmm. you know? I like that a lot. Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if, and if someone I hope takes that view, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to hold that like with honor and yeah. say, you can take that view because you can interpret this literally. And <clears throat> you can tell that my stance at least is that this is not literal. This is their best attempt at understanding the nature of the universe mm -hmm. and at least metaphorically what it's 
teaching is that God is holding the universe together mm-hmm. and he's protecting us from the threat of death all the time. Yeah. Like a hundred percent of the time, the Lord is sustaining my existence, even in the fact that he's holding the waters above me from collapsing in and, um, destroying the whole earth. And mm-hmm. if you, if you recognize that, then the flood makes more sense. Um, the way that the flood is described, it says the windows of the sky are opened and the deep starts bursting through the land. So there's Mm -hmm. these fountains of water coming up from the ground and coming down from the heavens, which is the opposite of Genesis one, where he separates the water above and below. It's like now in the flood, instead of separating, he's allowing the water to collapse around creation. In effect, he's decreating the the universe, Hmm. but he's created through Noah a little safe haven of creation. It's like a little Eden boat mm-hmm. that floats and it's going to survive this decreation event so that God can wipe the rest of the slate, slate clean and start over. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read that story and these other uh, like poetic descriptions of reality with that understanding of the universe, I think it starts to illuminate a lot so we could go down a whole rabbit trail there, but the, the, I'll say like the foundations of the earth, it was this thought that the land stood on huge pillars mm-hmm. and even beneath the land that we stand on is more ocean, which is why when we drill down, we find water mm-hmm. in wells Yeah, because water must be below the land. It was the ancient people trying to figure out how the universe worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that, that's not to say that the Bible is dumb. It's yeah. ancient and they were doing their best. And the, all of these descriptions tell an incredible truth. Um, if we have eyes to see through their cultural vocabulary. That's good. Yeah. So I think in all of this, there's just a big invitation. Like come be open handed with the Bible, learn its vocabulary, learn its culture. Like you're going on a trip to Italy Mm -hmm. or wherever else. And the more you learn those things, the more you'll appreciate your vacation through the biblical world. That was good. (laughs) Was that? Yeah. (laughs) No, I think this is such a good topic. I'm glad we, I'm glad we covered it today. Cool. I had more on my notes, but that's just fine because we could never hit it all. True. You mean you said that. So if we hit it all, then you could be going back on your word. I would be a liar. Be a liar. (laughs) (laughs) that's fun oh well praise god praise god for the bible i hope that this encourages the listener i feel encouraged myself honestly to go and do some more deep digging Mm -hmm. to write more question marks in my margin and discover new golden nuggets that god has waiting for us in the scriptures so i hope you feel that same way too so good yeah well we love you guys. <laughs> Thanks, listener. Yeah. That that concludes our How to Read the Bible series. We are Obviously, we're going to talk more about the Bible, but yeah. since that Sunday school class is concluding, um, we're going to pick it back up next week with more conversation around the fivefold ministry. Yeah. We've got a great yeah. podcast with Pastor Robin Werner, mm-hmm. which will be so good. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us. Come see us on a Sunday also at Boise Vineyard at 4 p.m. That's when we arrive for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Mountain Standard Time. Mountain Standard Time. If you show up <laughs> Pacific Time, you'll get it. You'll be late. You'll be late. Yeah, I was gonna. I, I should have said <laughs> Central Time, Eastern, early. Yeah, that's early. great. So early. Make it to pre-service prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> if you show up at Eastern, you'll make it to the uh, Sunday school. Sunday school. That's so great. Okay, come at 4 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Time. <laughs> <laughs> Set your clocks to Eastern Time, listeners. <laughs> It's a movement. Let's start it. All uh, right. Friends. All right. Well, we'll call that good. Yeah. Shalom. Peace be with you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Waters podcast. If you have comments, questions, or concerns, maybe even a recipe or two, please send them to deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. And if you would like to join us at Riverhouse for Sunday service, We meet at the Vineyard Boise at 4 p.m. We'd love to see you there. We cannot do this podcast without a little help from our friends. Our theme music was written and recorded by the Riverhouse Worship Team. Production is done by Jordan Sodeman. Special thanks to Isaiah Guerrero for our artwork. Benjamin Olson writes and co-hosts with me, Jace Langley, and I also edit this bad boy. If you like this podcast and want to keep going on this journey of discipleship with us, please leave us a review wherever you listen to the Deep Waters podcast. May Christ be with you wherever you go.